Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, just like our friend Josh Cobbs did. Five-star review, great pod. It's nice to hear from individuals who are actually knowledgeable on the horns. We'll leave that as it may. In-depth coverage and opinions. Josh, thank you so much. You can be like Josh. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. You can subscribe to Burnt Orange Nation Podcast. That is us. We'd love to have you as part of our community. Well, my name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's celebrating a Final Four appearance by the Texas Longhorns, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Oh, Shaka made it to a Final Four before Rick Barnes, so I'm uh, I'm ecstatic, Gerald. It's uh, probably, hopefully, the last cold snap in Texas for the year. It should be warm from here on out, according to my farmer's almanac. Uh, life is all right, man. Life is life is quite good. How about how about yourself? We're the same. So we had this weird cold snap, like it froze Saturday night in Oklahoma, which is incredible because we just planted some peonies in our front yard. Uh, uh, which super frustrating, but again, because I'm married and 30 plus, we do those types of things. Uh, but no, I'm incredible feeling good doing some two a day workouts right now. I'm in a, a little bit of a weight loss competition at work. So trying to get secure that bag. Nice. Nice. I also, if, if folks are interested, I did also do some, some gardening myself two weeks ago. So listen into our other podcast gardening on 40 acres, um, with Gerald and I, and, uh, hear all our hot flower takes. So we've got some NIT, as we alluded to in the opening, Uh, Texas in the final four. Uh, Baseball struggled in the midweek game, but managed to come out on top in their weekend series. We've got some takeaways from that spring football. They had their first scrimmage of the spring. There was some excitement there, so we'll get to talk about that. Injuries as well, and then we'll have some downing the 40. We haven't had much opportunity to celebrate basketball this year. It's been few and far between, I'll say. Inconsistent at best. Our celebration, which matches the team's performance, inconsistent at best. But Texas put a hurting on Colorado, 68-55 to in their quest to prove that they're the 69th best team in the nation. So now they head to Madison Square Garden to face off against Texas Christian. But before we hit that, Texas did a little work. Oh yeah. College, especially early on. This was this was an old school old school Big 12 uh type of hate matchup. Texas came in uh remembering, you know, the the beating Colorado by lots of points leads to to good things as Vince Young used to to uh, catapult into a national championship. Um, but uh, so so they took that that model that school of thought and uh, just absolutely I, I put in the note the word uh, the show notes the word molly whopped um, because again I thought that needed to be spoken into existence about this. They were up forty four to nineteen at the half. Um, it was only a thirteen point win, but they were up sixty one to thirty nine with five minutes left. Don't let the final score uh, try to convince you that this. This is anything other than um, back in the you know the early days when when professionals would would play um, 
you know, for, for certain colleges uh, on a ringer system and just destroy and look like it's not uh, not the same caliber of human out there. They, they, they murdered Colorado. In fact, Colorado had more turnovers than made baskets in the first half. Um, but, I mean, it was, it was a great... Uh, a great game. We and call that efficiency, Kyle. <laughs> hey, that's honestly that's uh, that is Shaka basketball, right? If you do that every game, you're you're gonna you're gonna be here a long time and win a lot of games if you can make the other team do that. But uh, this was the last game in the drum for the year. The last game in the drum for a couple seniors, uh, you know, ever for for Dylan O um, and and Roach who. Um, you know, both were pretty good and both have been pretty good this whole tournament. But I do think Osikowski has been the best player for the Longhorns throughout this tournament run. Just seems to be locked in. He had 15 points, uh, 7-11 shooting, 5 rebounds, 3 assists, and 4 steals. The big man is is liking that feeling of going coast to coast. He's uh, spread the legs and he likes it, letting the uh, let, letting himself roam free. Um, and, you know, I, I, I will take it. Coast to coast Kowski, That's that's my new favorite thing. Rip Stokowski is what came to mind, but really you just throw <laughs> Kowski at the end of anything and it's good. Uh, for me, seeing the team play consistently is is shocking because um, they haven't done it all year. The fact that they have set a high level to start the NIT and continued that, like they're doing what we thought they would do for a lot of the season, which is win against some teams that they shouldn't in close and blow out teams that they should blow out. And they haven't done that consistently up until the last, you know, three, I guess it's three games in the NIT now mm-hmm. to get to Madison square garden. And I think a lot of it, like you said, Dylan O's really dialed in uh, Jericho Sims looked, looked good. Uh, that he was a guy that we expected to come in and be the man. And then Jackson Haynes kind of had his, uh, his emergence as, as the big man on campus. So seeing him play well, crash the boards was, was a positive. And, and then, uh, Ramey is finally, I think, living up to his billing. He was billed as the guy. He was kind of the bell cow of this class, uh, and has been again outshone by by Jackson. So he's been really, really good. And again, um, he's been consistent and was part of the reason why Texas had a bit of a spark in this game. Yeah, and, and not only has he performed well, but he has kind of solidified himself as the the heart and soul and kind of the vocal leader of of this Texas team right now, which um, you know is big because you're losing two seniors who who you know have started for the past couple of years who've been uh, pretty huge in this program. So when you think about Ramey not only playing for this year but setting up for next year, um, you know it, it's great if he can keep shooting the three, keep being efficient, um, and and I mean there's a chance that that if he handles the ball as well as he has lately that. You know, you have to look at Matt Coleman and see who the main ball handler even is going to be because Ramey has, has looked, you know, quite good. I think they play well together, and so you'll probably see that that backcourt. But you know, who's the who's really the number one point guard? Because right now it's one A and one B. Um, but you know, I, I, the the caveat before I get too excited, and I'm excited. I honestly, I I, I am excited. Um, this has been at home. They've been playing well at home all year. They happened to get into the NIT um, where they shouldn't have been. They should have been a tournament team. Even, you know, by advanced metrics said they were a top 30, 35 team in the country, you know, and there's 64 teams in the tournament. So this is what they should be doing and especially doing at home. But now they're about to go and play um, not not only not at home, but they're going to go play a team that has beat them both at home and on the road in TCU. Admittedly, they have not beat them on a neutral site yet this year. So who knows what could happen? But I mean, hopefully 
this is a Texas team that's gelling, playing well at the right time. And, and with a chip on its shoulder, it's like, wow, TCU, they're, they're going to be the ones uh, to, to stop us. We know how they've beat us in the past. Hopefully they cover um, Bain, who had, I think, 65 points from beyond the arc uh, the last time we played them. Um, that may be an exaggeration. It may not be. Someone will have to look that up. Yeah, I mean, they, they're... They're heading to Madison Square, Madison Square Garden to cap off their season, to cap off some careers for the senior. It's it's a really cool ending, no matter how it goes. But, you know, at this point, you're there. You might as well go win it. It, it feels right. And I want to back up and talk about Ramey for just a second, because you mentioned something interesting about him, you know, emerging as kind of the vocal leader. Shaka Smart's biggest wish for Matt Coleman has been to be a vocal leader. And so I think that that is part of his emergence, is he's finally seeing in Ramey a lot of what he may want from from Matt Coleman he said it early in the season Matt's still too nice Matt doesn't want to get in guys faces Matt's not the rah-rah scream at you guy and this team has needed some of that in some of these late game meltdowns and so I think that could be a thing but Texas playing away from the drum is terrifying Hmm. and I'm really trying to temper my expectations because They've been playing really well, and they've played really well at home a lot this season, and then gone on the road and absolutely not known what to do with themselves. Right. And the lights of Madison Square Garden and being in New York City, and to be honest, the expectation that a lot of us are putting on them could be too much. And it, and I'm really, really worried that this is going to be a letdown, and then the Again, some of the really, really hot fire Shaka people will have another reason to scream for the next 12 months. Yeah, I mean, again, you, you, you took the, the – it's a tournament, right? You can lose on any given day, but you took the, the, the worst of a situation. Again, the last time they played TCU, it was a supposed to be a gimme that got us into the NCAA tournament. Didn't happen, but you took the worst of a situation, kind of roach being suspended, end of year – malaise whatever happened and you you made the best of it so far i mean if if they if they don't win this tournament i don't think that's a great indictment and shaka has to leave or or anything like that but i mean they've already i think made an achievement getting to madison square garden obviously winning it is a whole nother kettle of fish um and, and we already talked about abe lemons and the 1978 team you didn't like kettle of fish that's a great that's a great phrase I think it's British, but uh, you know that. Why not? Why not go out and get Texas? It's sad to say, second ever major air quotes um, tournament win. We'll see how it works out. So they are again taking. They're taking on TCU, who they are winless against this year at Madison Square Garden. If they win, they're going to take on either the powerhouse of Wichita State or Lipscomb, whichever one comes out on top. So baseball had an up and down week, struggled against Incarnate Word. They lost again away from home, a trend for not only the basketball team, but it seems like our winter and spring sports lost at Incarnate Word three to two. And then in probably the weirdest thing I've seen, I don't know if this has ever happened before, won three state straight games against Xavier six to five, six to five on Friday. 6 to 5 on Saturday and surprise surprise 6 to 5 on Sunday which again really really weird and i i don't know what to make of that it's it's weird i i mean i, I like that we say 6 to 5 because even just scoring six runs in consecutive games makes me uneasy um the the sign of the beast and i'm not talking um of course about uh <laughs> uh, uh 
about Duke Ellis. I'm saying um, that's that's a weird thing. So we'll say six to five because that makes me more comfortable. Is utterly odd. Again, someone who has more time in their day and, and more access to the internet uh, than I do could, could do a deep search and see if that's ever happened in a series for Texas. Uh, I don't know off the top of my head, but it seems unlikely. That's unless it's a zero to zero three times uh, or something of that sort. But it, but a but a uh, non-zero numbered score that's happened three consecutive times against the same opponent look it up hit us back on the replies of texas seems rare that it's ever happened i don't know what to make of it other than the bat showed up in the pitching the relief pitching struggled yep that's that's all there is to it like there's nothing else to really make of it outside of that yeah i mean if, if you want to dive you know from from a macro level i guess yeah the starting pitching looked great all three starting pitchers looked phenomenal the bullpen Still needs to improve. I think, you know, getting to a one true closer, if that's Quintanilla or whoever, probably needs to happen. Cameron feels needs to get out of the funk he's in after starting off as hot as he did. Um, but, you know, the, the bats were there, but they certainly had a flair for the dramatic. Um, they really showed up late in in a lot of these games. And I don't know if we want to dive really into each one, but basically, um, you know, they scored in the 10th and in the 12th. Um, in the first game, they uh, they kind of had to hold off a rally defensively when Xavier's bats got hot in the in the ninth. Um, in the second game, and then in the third game, you know, came down from five four in the in the ninth inning um, to win six five. You know, uh, uh, two walk offs in three games to get those six runs uh, after giving up five. So it's it's you know, I would love to score a little earlier and make it easier on your relievers to come in with a big lead. But, you know, it's it's uh, it's up to those guys who, who get their school paid for to, to, you know, do what they're supposed to do, which is be able to be the bridge between a starter and get to a, a finish, a closer, or whatever the situation is, and, and kind of see it out without such a huge drop-off. Yeah, and really a lot of it's the the aces. The I mean, Bryce Elder, who has been pretty solid all season, pitched six scoreless which is pretty solid performance on Friday and Texas ended up giving up five runs. So like you can't ask for much more from your starter. Mm-mm. I don't think you can ask for much more from your starters. And so the the middle relief is just, I don't know what's up with it. I don't, I don't know what, what David Pierce does to, to get that situation figured out. But the big 12 is a long and arduous journey and it's not going to, your bats aren't going to be there every night to bail you out. And so if your ace gives you a gem, you've got to be able to, to bridge it. Like you said it really well, but that's, that's to me problematic. Now, Texas managed to, to play some solid games in conference play, but the fact that, that the middle relief is really, really struggling is, is starting to, um, starting to wear on me. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's Koi Cobb had probably his best outing of the season, seven innings, one earned run. Uh, career high eight Ks. Uh, Blair Henley got the win. He was the only starter to get the win, but you know also pitched a dandy. So if we get those three every time, I expect that we win every series. I don't necessarily have to sweep every series, but if our starters are going to come out and give you those types of performances, we win every series from here on out for the rest of the season. However, just one quick caveat: um, we did also play a midweek game, and I just want to I want to go on record as saying. Midweek games are the worst. I've decided I I hate them. Um, I know I said earlier that I love them because it means the time between when I see Texas baseball is shortened, but I've now changed my opinion. I hate them. That's a good bridge because 
coming up the next midweek game, the Texas A&M Aggies. Yuck. Which is enough about them. But the plus side, it's at home. And I think that's the other thing that we can talk about here is where was that game against the Carnet Word? It was in San Antonio at Nelson Wolf Field. In fact, the Mission Stadium for all our San Antonio listeners. Shout out. Where was this the three-game sweep against Xavier? Uh, that was at uh, Dish Falk. Okay, so that's a troubling thing. Texas is 15-4 and four at home, 5-7 and seven on the road. Yeah, that's that's a lot better. Um, that's that's a significant difference. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean that that A and M game is a big one. It's it's really um, on their schedule, kind of their last big tough test outside of a couple conference opponents um, who who I think have some talent. I don't want to rule out really any of the Big Twelve. There's there's some talent left on the schedule, especially OU at the end. You never know. Um, but A and M, as much as I hate to say it, is is right around where Texas is. They're both top 10 teams this year they're they're relatively well matched texas doesn't necessarily pitch its aces in the midweek which is a big reason um that we don't always show out i have a feeling they might be a a little more inclined to show up uh full strength for this one again i don't think they're going to mess too too much with with taking henley or um elder out of out of the the weekend rotation but you know maybe koi cobb although he did pitch on Sunday, um, maybe, you know, switch it up and let, uh, let Bochi ball get going. Um, he hasn't really started this season like he did last season in some midweek. So I, I don't know. And then we'll see what Pierce has up his sleeve. Um, but I do think they'll want to win this one because again, it's, it's, uh, one of their toughest, if not their toughest, um, game left on the schedule for the rest of the year. So yeah, I think, um, I think it's a big one. I think the the home field advantage will play huge. I'm sure there will be plenty of fans to uh, to cheer on the horns there. But so big week coming up because uh, after that they do um, they do kind of go back into uh, Big Twelve play and they they take on uh, Baylor, who is is an up and down but a, but a tough a tough out. Um, it'll be they're kind of getting getting right from where they started and and they're on a bit of an upswing. So it'll be a good week if we can just wipe out all of the the worst programs or schools, in my opinion, in the state of Texas. No offense, shout out to uh, my fiance. This is a test if she actually listens to the podcast. Um, but to Baylor and and A and M and in, in one week and go four and zero would would make me feel real good on this podcast next week. Well, the game is already sold out online, nice. so if you want to catch it, you've got to catch it on Fox Sports One. On Tuesday, the day you're listening to this podcast, more than likely, if you're listening to it after that, then everything we just said is probably out of date. So we can't go a week without talking football, especially when spring practice is happening. And I guess the first thing that we got to talk about, we got to shush. Oh, yeah. We got to shush. And the wild speculation began. I heard about 17 different names uh, in the different groups that I talked to about this. And the actual one, maybe it wasn't. This guy, maybe there's another one in the background, but uh, three-star Jaden Hullaby committed to the University of Texas, 100% committed according to his Twitter bio or Twitter uh, tweet, I guess, that he posted. That was a tough sentence about two seconds into it, but he is a three-star athlete. He kind of projects out to be more of the H-back, fullback, body style, kind of tight endy, but a a very underrated prospect, if I have to ask. He had upwards of 20 or 25 offers on the table, including most of the Big 12 coming after him. And Tom Herman, again, going a little bit off the beaten path to find a guy that he likes and a guy that 
is going to fit a need that Texas is looking at in two years, which which is where you really end up recruiting. Yeah, and and you know, Hullaby commit commit Hullaby commit commit. This is going to be another example of uh, of burn orange media conspiracy. Uh, when he goes up, he's a he's a Tyler Owens type who um, you know crazily rises up the up the charts and, and Aggies cry foul. Um, there's a good chance he's a four star by the time he he actually steps foot and and dons the burnt orange. Uh, his tape looks real good. Uh, he's a big kid. He's got a lot of tools. Looks like he can probably play, like you noted, uh, a couple different positions. Um, probably could even get in the backfield, but it seems like Texas, uh, with the offense they like, is probably leaning more towards the the, the, the quick, um, kind of fast twitch guys as opposed to the bruisers um, for, for what we're running. Though, you know, who knows if you have if you have different uh, weapons. I've seen Tom Herman utilize what he's got. So um, I think we'll be a good player for us and excited to excited to get him. The thing about Hullaby's tape that's that's a little I don't know, it's a little misleading, I guess is the best way, is he doesn't have that elite breakaway speed mm. that, that you see in a lot of guys, but he's fast enough. Right. He's not running people. He's not, you know, ten yards ahead of them, but he's fast enough. And he's got really good hands. I think it's the thing that's been impressive. There's a lot on his junior tape uh, of him catching out of the backfield. And he's a guy that doesn't shy away from contact, which, again, is something that Tom Herman and co. seem to value in a runner as somebody that's going to just put a body on somebody. And, and you mentioned the, the BOMC, the Burnt Orange Media Conspiracy. He's got really good junior tape, which tells me that he's probably going to have really good senior tape. And the burn orange media conspiracy is actually a product of people evaluating senior tape based upon reevaluation of prospects. And something that Tom Herman and his group do really, really well is they find athletes that are off the beaten path. And then when people see their senior tape, they're like, Oh, this guy's actually really good. So anytime that's brought up, I'm just going to talk about that. But I, I like Hullaby's tape. Um, if he, he seems like he could also fit as a short yardage, big body back mm-hmm. that that would be great on, on a short yardage, a goal line set. Um, and somebody that can, can get some tough yardage in the, in kind of the spread power that Herman and company are trying to employ. Because this is, we're going to make a quick aside note for, for ourselves on air. We're going to commit to this one, uh, one of these off season kind of slower news weeks. Let's talk about running backs at Texas and let's focus on the big babies. Let's focus on the big beef jerky that we've had here. Let's really talk about the big boys who get to run the ball. Cause I think that's an area that you and I both love. And I'd love to see Hullaby be the next in a, in a long line of, of, of big bruisers push your big body can't stop me that's how i feel about running backs uh so texas had its first scrimmage of the spring practice so kind of the unofficial halfway ish two-thirds ish mark through it uh, it was a bit of a mash unit <laughs> to say the least a ton of injuries so uh quarterback casey thompson actually got the start in the scrimmage because sam ellinger is dealing with some undiagnosed throat soreness and swelling they tested him for mumps which i thought was a disease that was eradicated by a simple vaccination but we'll just leave that there uh so there's still a lot to be seen of what this offense is going to look like uh Coach Tom Herman described Thompson's performance as he's got a long way to go, but for a guy who's never taken a snap in a game to be running with the first team, I thought he operated it well and made some really good decisions. Uh, So to start there, the quarterback room is thin, Mm. very, very thin, razor thin. Mm -hmm. Uh, Basically, 
we're a Casey Thompson injury away from Roshan being the number one quarterback, at least in camp. Does that give you pause? Does that give you concern as Texas wraps up? Uh, We're kind of heads into the second half of spring practice. Uh, As Sam Ellinger has not made it through a season, he's two for two, not missing games. I mean, it very well could happen. I'm not going to say it, of course, has to happen, but it very well could happen that, that he gets dinged up at some point during the season. Uh, as you look down the, the kind of rap sheet of injuries, um, and we can run through it in a minute, uh, I am of the mind of as long as these are injuries that are healing up by the time the season comes, these are, these are you know, blessings in disguise for the younger guys again don't want anyone to get hurt but it's a chance to step up it's a chance to to fill the shoes I mean it's really good that Thompson is getting some chance to run with the one it's really good that Roshan's getting thrown in there these are valuable reps again lord forbid something does happen to Ellinger where he misses any significant amount of time I don't want it to be like last season where we have a quarterback who takes 90 8% Eight percent of our snaps when he's healthy, you know, not even end of game, and some of that may have been redshirting things, um, but not even end of game snaps going anywhere else. Um, part of that was us never being more than like a touchdown uh, in any game. But uh, you know, I, I love getting these guys reps now. I think you, you see it um, hopefully in our secondary with the injuries we have there, and those guys kind of being pressed in and, and and getting that chance to play with the ones you see it in the quarterback room. I think even in the receivers. Um, in the receivers area, you're seeing it. So, I mean, I, I don't think these are bad as long as, again, everyone comes back healthy. By the time uh, the season rolls around, we're, we're 100%, and, and, you know, we're the better for it uh, because these guys are trained up a bit. So, for the guys that were playing, we'll do the kind of injury rundown uh, in just a moment. But uh, Shaq, Shackelford was the offensive MVP. Yep. Malcolm Roach was the defensive MVP, which those are two positions where – we're kind of concerned uh, mm-hmm. on what Texas is going to look like. So the fact that you have an offensive lineman and a defensive lineman uh, who are going to be major contributors in 2019 and kind of at cornerstone positions uh, showing up and showing out at, at the spring scrimmage. Well, and also you'd like to see your senior guys taking steps forward. So that's a great sign. Uh, they're stepping up, being leaders, being the guys who say, you know, watch what I do, follow me. That's exactly what you want. I mean, Shaq as, as the kind of um, – old man and the the you know the experience and the the texas know-how of the offensive line and then roach kind of being that for the whole defense i love that those are the two guys who are identified by the coaching staff as the mvps of scrimmage one another guy who they were really high on um and just some of the clips we've seen of him since he's been cleared is keandre coburn i know that's a guy that you and i are super duper high on i mean we think he has like you know NFL NFL long career you know big Texas defensive line um next in line type talent uh, it's just a matter of him getting the chance but be it health or you know he redshirted last year um but but it seems like he's on the right track and what we're seeing and hearing about him is is keeping in line he may be pushing for that starting job with with uh Gerald Wilbon and again no knock to Wilbon just you know Coburn is is a monster Coburn's been described by by some analysts as one of the best nose tackles that the state of Texas has put out in the last several years, which there have been some really good guys like Dalen Mack, who Mm -hmm. was almost at Texas and then ended up at at A&M, whatever. Um, Big Marv, Marvin, uh, what was his name? He went to... uh... He went to Florida State, but he was the number one defensive tackle. Almost was came to UT. Marvin, 
uh, anyways, I can't remember his name, but um, was out of Houston. There have been a couple monsters. There's been some beef, and and the fact that Coburn, the the word that a lot of people are using for his play in the spring scrimmage is disruptive, which in a defense that thrives off of kind of space eating and and space creating defensive tackles, disruptive is what you want to see on the outsides. Um, some young guns showing up. At wide receiver, again, partially probably because of some depth issues, but both Brendan Eagles and Malcolm Epps, uh, at least from the highlights that have been posted online, looked really good. Brendan Eagles, um, a big, not not the biggest body. Malcolm Epps is claiming to be the biggest body at six seven, which again, that seems like fake news whatever. Uh, so, uh, but they both seem to be able to take those over the middle routes and passes and, and do a little work with them. Uh, I'm excited to see who ends up, we you know, Brew McCoy has been taking a lot of the number one snaps. He also, uh, was sidelined with an injury. He should be back to full contact this week. Uh, but the fact that Texas has depth to rotate at a spot where, there are questions for the second year in a row who's going to step up and replace the guy. Uh, Texas has multiple options of guys that are looking like they could be it. Yeah, and, and you just mentioned two guys, one who sounds like a high school and the other who sounds like a B-movie actor, um, who, you know, <laughs> their names don't necessarily ring out yet, except to the true recruit Knicks and, and deep roster studies who, who watch these guys. But th- these are both guys who will be impactful players in the years and wars to come. Um, I think, you know, Eagles, I believe, had a touch. They may have both had a touchdown. I know for sure Eagles had a touchdown in that scrimmage. Um, looked like, you know, was quick, but also also strong. Uh, Epps just looking like, you know, a plug-and-play little Jordan Humphrey replacement with that oversized playmaker in the slot. Um, of course, was a tight end and has shown um, some, some glimpses when he's been able to see the field. So, um, again, just... <laughs> It should be six, seven, eight deep in that receiver room with the type of talent they have where, you know, the ones can run out. You can rotate guys in when they're fresh. You can have packages and, and, and you know, gizmos and things drawn up to get guys in and, and take take advantage of mismatches. Like, w- we have the talent. That should be what we're doing next year. Like, let's let, you know, our best assets, which is wonderful receivers, good pass blockers, and a quarterback, you know, of national uh, merit in Sam Ellinger go out and do that all season long. I mean, can you imagine having a six-man rotation that consists of Colin Johnson, Brew McCoy, Devin Duvernay, Malcolm Epps, Brennan Eagles, and John Burt? Uh, yes, I, I, I can, and I like it. I have, and, and I like it. Um, I, and, that, and, there's, and I'm still – I'm not mentioning guys that are also really good. Like, it's an embarrassment of riches at wide receiver, and, and I'm – Really excited to see what that unit looks like. Uh, Sam Ellinger should be a kid in a candy store next year, especially if the wide receivers uh, make the strides that they should and Keontae Ingram continues to make the strides that the coaches are claiming to. Hopefully Sam will not have to run as much and he'll be able to hand the ball off, run some options, and then dump it off to one of his massive receivers who is leaps and bounds ahead of most of the trash at the Big 12 trots out at cornerback OU. Cough, cough, OU. <laughs> and I, I'm going to leave it there because I did not want to take shots at our rivals. But, uh, but you know, speaking of receivers, the good news is is, is uh, Duvernay also played in the scrimmage. He's played about 50% of the snaps, but we're seeing him get back. Obviously, Colin Johnson's going to miss the whole spring. But, you know, the, there, there, there are some more weapons. So when you start to get attached to these kids, there's more and more behind them. So to 
go through the injuries that we've been kind of cherry picking. So we talked about Sam and the preventable disease, uh, brew McCoy sitting out with a, uh, with an, an injury. He should be back at full contact this week. You mentioned Dever Duver- Devin Duvernay, who's been, uh, about 50, 50, just back getting into contact. Gabriel Floyd, a guy who we were both excited to see on the field has continued to be non-contact due to a neck injury that relates back to high school. Uh, he's undergoing MRIs. They haven't released the results yet. And that's secondary is just kind of a mess right now. So we knew Brandon Jones and Caden Stearns would be out due to surgeries. They're kind of the presumptive one and twos there. Uh, BJ Foster is in the concussion protocol currently. So we don't, he took a knee to the helmet, I believe is what they said. So uh, he should be back relatively soon. Uh, Chris Brown was missing this, uh, the, uh, the miss. Chris Brown missed the in, the scrimmage. Uh, he was uh, ha- having some lung issues, which is kind of scary. There have been some interesting uh, diagnoses from Tom Herman. Uh, only three scholarship safeties were available for the scrimmage. So Montrell Estelle, DeMarvian Overshone, who looked really good in what we've seen, and Josh Thompson were available. Yeah, I mean, also uh, Anthony Cook was out. I think he's he's scheduled to come back as well from a cornerback position. But yeah, just that defensive uh, backfield again. There's a there's not a ton of starts in in that room. A lot of them between our safeties, um, but the starts that are there are almost all missing in Jones, Foster, and Stearns. Um, and, and I guess Cook technically started one game last year um, when when we had suspensions. But um, you know. It, that was all gone. So what we talked about earlier applies, you know, absolutely here. The young guys uh, got the chance to step up. But again, hopefully all of these guys are worked back in as they're healthy uh, and, and continue to get get uh, get back up to ship shape. Um, the good news that I that I did see on, on the defensive side was uh, defensive lineman Marquez Bimage um, uh, should be back this week from shoulder surgery that ended his year um, in November, I believe, last season, and uh, in ha- was playing really, really well uh, in his limited kind of snaps last year and, and looks to be a contributor in at least a, a rotation uh, on that defensive line. The The... The only reason the back the defensive backfield worries me is because that's the unit I have the most concern about. It's concerning that these guys aren't getting the reps because these guys need the reps. And not at a talent level. They're all incredibly talented, but there's nobody outside of, again, probably the back two guys in the defense that are very long in the tooth. And even Caden Stearns is not very long in the tooth. He's a one season starter. So he has more starts combined than probably the rest of these guys that are missing. Uh, So that that's the thing that concerns me. But the reason why that is, is the guys that are leaving. So Texas uh, had its pro day. They haven't published the official results. Everything we've seen uh, is unofficial, except for the video that I was able to count. Uh, We've got some, Interesting numbers, I'll say. Maybe some uh, deflated numbers, I'll say. Uh, PJ Locke p- posted some incredibly fast numbers that somewhere in the four three four four range on his forty yard dash, which I would love to see official timing. I think that was a lot of unofficial timing. Uh, the one that was kind of jumped out to me was Pat Vahe and and Calvin Anderson, who both put up thirty on the bench press. A big three. Oh, there are actually only five offensive linemen that did more at the NFL Combine. One guy did 39, and then everybody was like 31, 32, and 34. So 
not a ton of separation, at least on that metric between those two guys and, uh, and the rest of the field at the combine, they did some work and Nancy McKnight continues to be worth every single cent they pay him. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think every time we see one of these off season videos and, and, you know, we, we say it, we say, wow, these dudes are looking big. They're looking lean. They're looking fast, you know, whatever. Um, but then you see something like this, like, you know, Calvin, Calvin Anderson was not necessarily, he, he's a great tackle. Um, he played smaller and leaner and was incredibly smart, um, and, and had intangibles and all those things, but you wouldn't have necessarily said, oh yeah, that's one of your top two or three tackle prospects in the country based on strength. You would not have said that was his biggest strength, but if he can do all of those things that he did already, and then Yancey just continues to yoke him up, uh, clearly to the point where he's, you know, also one of the strongest linemen in the, in the country like that, that might just secure his, his draft status and be the whole reason he transferred and came to Texas. I mean, one year with the NC, you see that type of change says a lot. And that's a hundred percent. The, the fruit of this is that Texas is going to, I think, continue to pick off these guys that are looking to improve their draft stock. You got a guy like Parker Braun who's coming Mm -hmm. from Georgia tech because the film that he has is running the triple option and that's not going to translate. So he comes to Texas for a year, gets in a more pro style system has now some tape of him pass blocking because he has basically three plays over his last three years at Georgia Tech that he's pass blocked on, uh, and he gets in a top-tier strength and conditioning program. So I think these results are going to continue to help Texas in the transfer market. Um, And then you saw a guy like Charles Omenehu who put up decent numbers at the combine, wasn't world-shattering, wasn't an earth-beater, and then he improved, at least according to the numbers that we've had, his three cone in his 40-yard time. So another couple of weeks of work. And Charles who has now made the case that, hey, Junior, you come back at Texas, have another year with Big Yancey, and you'll improve your stock. And I think not. it's not all about what this has done for the program, but it's hard to ignore those realities. Yeah, and I think specific to Chuck, I think about him, and, and honestly about Vahe, you think about them in this pro day. What is the first word there is pro, going pro. You think about them and maybe in this program three years ago, those are guys that you see littered all across the league, guys who have long careers off of undrafted free agents, guys who went to Texas and maybe, you know, as Texas was in a down period, had a little of that stink on them or didn't get the, you know, maybe if you think of it the other way, the Texas shine that guys typically get like, wow, they must be good. They played at Texas. You're seeing a shift. I think Chuck doing what he does, which is workaholic, doing all the right things, saying I, I did good. I did good enough to get drafted. It's a preternaturally, preternaturally talented defensive end class. So he he may not be the top three or four taken on, on round one, but he has definitely put himself in a top probably three rounds conversation with the type of work season he did, of course, and then the work he's done since just showing that ethic. Those are the those are the types of players that um, I feel like the, the Seahawks and and the uh, and the Patriots are going to be upset that they can't money ball from Texas like they have because putting in this work and then also seeing the results on the field, they're putting the pro back in pro day where you're going to start seeing – Guys that should have been drafted in years previous, but now you have the results and the push and the the eyes, the scouts. They're looking at Texas players uh, and not just the really good ones, but but all of them. Where you know it's no longer going to be um, uh, underappreciated assets. So now we're going to take you around campus to the sports that we don't normally talk about, 
and we're going to down the 40. So men's swimming and diving finished as the number two team in the country. They finished second at the national championship that they hosted this last weekend. Uh, They missed their shot at going five in a row. It was a bit of a down season for Texas, which is ridiculous, saying that they were ranked in the top five all year, and they finished in second being a down year. Um, But Eddie Reese continues to prove that he is the best coach on campus? Question mark. I mean, it's hard to argue with that. Um, So this is his 26th first or second place finisher. Uh, He's had 33 finishes in the top three, and this is his 40th consecutive top 10 finish. Texas did not win the overall national championship, but did have five national champions. Townley Haas in the 500 free, uh, John Sherbat in the 200 backstroke, Jordan Wendell as a platform diver, diver as well as the 400 and 800 free relays. Yeah, I mean, Eddie Eddie Reese is the is the greatest coach in, in probably college sports history at his sport. He is more dominant than Bear Bryant or Nick Saban or anyone else. Paterno, Bob, yeah, Paterno, Uh, Bobby Bowden have been in football. He's more dominant than Gino Ariema is in women's basketball. Um, 40 consecutive top 10 finishes is wild. 26, one or two. Just crazy. Um, Shouts to Eddie. Uh, Sorry, didn't get to jump in the pool again. Uh, I have a feeling when you look at uh, Wendell, um, a couple of those guys, I think almost all except Townley Haas on that free, they had like a dozen all Americans and, and 80% of them are under, are not seniors. There's a couple juniors. Um, there's a lot coming back. There's another great recruiting class coming in. The, uh, the pool stays stocked. I think they'll be back. I am not surprised. Kyle, are you ready for our weekly softball update? I went in on this, this week. I, I admit, um, <laughs> this was a wild week for softball. Uh, do I have free reign to just flex a little? I'm, I'm popping my neck. Just, just, just do talk it. a little softball. All right, I'm gonna call this uh, stunt on him, Kyle. Stunt. This is the the subsection of downing the forty. Uh, the Cat Osterman presents Texas softball in the Mike White era. It's back, baby. Um, Texas is number nine in the polls. Number one in your hearts. Number six in the RPI. They have 13 run rules this season and a top 10 strength of schedule. They are one run rule away from tying the the most they've ever done in a season. Um, this particular week, though, we just missed the news, came out right after our, our podcast aired last week, um, that Miranda Elis, one of the players who came f- with Coach uh, Coach Mike, Coach White, uh, from Oregon, um, was named both the Big 12 and the National Pitcher of the Week last week. She was 2-0, 0.00 Zero 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 ERA, her second career no hitter versus Iowa State, and a one hit shutout at Lipscomb just for good measure. Twenty strikeouts, just two hits over thirteen innings of work, and on top of that, she also had one of those. She hit three sixty four, and on one of those games, hit her first career grand slam and five RBIs. And that grand slam was a walk off because that was another one of our run rulings. Um, so pretty good, pretty 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 good, as Larry David would say. Um, but not to be outdone, freshman phenom Shaylin O'Leary needed just 63 pitches on Wednesday, the, the following day, um, to throw Texas's 10th all-time perfect game. Um, again, a beautiful thing to, to a shutout uh, against Baylor. Uh, she's the first freshman since Mrs. Osterman, um, or excuse me, the only freshman 
the other being, besides um, Kat Osterman, to do it, um, of the ten. And only uh, one of eight in history to have two no-hit performances in their career. <clears throat> Again, she's a freshman. Uh, her ERA at that point was down to an NCAA leading point zero. Point four zero, um, so real, 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 real good. Um, then Elish tried to to top it. Friday comes along. They're playing the number sixteen Oklahoma State. Uh, she goes in. She's at a pitcher's duel and has a I think at that point like a like a one hit or maybe a two hit um, performance going. Has another like all timer. They're just battling uh, and then heartbreakingly fashion uh, an error. She gets one earned run, a walk off win in the bottom of the seventh uh, for Oklahoma State on an error. Um, so just pretty devastating there. But to her credit, she extended her on base streak again. This is our pitcher um, to 11 games batting, um, in one of the only two hits that the team could procure. Sadly, that would be the last though, because Saturday it kind of all fell apart. Texas gave up only its fourth time this season, having a team score more than five runs. Actually, Oklahoma State scored eight runs. And we just talked about throwing a perfect game that week. Um, I, I, it's like my dad had a hole in one. And then every time he plays that hole, now he, he gets like a, like a six on it. You just, you know, your knees shake a little bit after a perfect game. I don't know what you do to follow that up, but uh, for O'Leary, she suffered her first defeat, allowing two whole earn runs and two hits with a walk and only one strikeout over one point one inning. So it was, it was a tough one, but again, to wrap up the week, on Sunday, they rebounded. Elish got the win, 11 strikeouts. They redeemed themselves a bit, beating Oklahoma State, losing the series ultimately, their first, I believe, series loss, um, but um, getting some redemption and winning the last game. Um, Elish got the win. They should be back on track. Uh, and, you know, just shout-outs also to Janae Jefferson, whose 54 hits are just two off the current NCAA leader. Kyle talked more about a random week of softball than we did about a second place finish at the national championships for swimming and diving. Uh, but that's the type of content you come to us for. So number four men's tennis swept Texas tech and then dominated Baylor. They didn't actually dominate, but I like to talk about Texas beating Baylor in dramatic fashion. That's the fourth Top 10 victory of the season. Texas approves to 19-2 on the men's tennis season. The women's team, again, went into Oklahoma and came out blemishless. Downed both OU, number 30, suck at OU, and number 9, OSU, on their respective home courts. They improved to 11-3 on the season. Number 2, women's golf, has their final tournament of the regular season at the Bruzzy Invitational in Lantana, Tejas, and without Caitlin Papp, unfortunately, Agatha Lasney and Emily Hoffman, who are competing in the inaugural Augusta National Women's Amateur. So, big things happening in golf, and then Texas Relays was this last weekend. Nine winners, multiple runners-up from Texas, and a pretty solid showing overall at Clyde Littlefield Texas Relays. But that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college sports, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are we banging the drum on this week? I'm going to give you two, and I'm going to give you one as a quick-fire stat, and, and, and it revolves around the basketball team. Um, it, it, so, the NIT, as we mentioned earlier in this podcast, has, has moved the three-point line back a foot and eight inches. 
the same distance used by FIBA, 22 feet, 1.75 inches. However, when it was shorter, the Longhorn team during the regular season shot 34%. In the three games in the NIT, again, with the longer three-point line, they've shot 42.2%. So, as I said, Shaka Smart, knowing this, obviously, and being a genius, intentionally got into the NIT to maximize his team's strength, um, which is fantastic. Uh, I, I have nothing else to say, but the one I really wanted to get to, that's just a, a too good a nugget to, to, to leave out, but the one I really wanted to get to, and, and I'm going to quiz you a little bit here, Gerald. Um, since the beginning of World War II, there were three, I'll say this last week, there were three Power 5 programs that hadn't finished in the final four, and it's basketball season, uh, of, of, of any of the three major big marquee revenue-generating sports, that, of course, being football, which would be in any of the major respected polls. Basketball, obviously, making a literal final four, or baseball, again, any of the major baseball polls. So, so to, to give you the, the easy off the top, um, Texas Tech, they just made their first... Final Four in that time frame, um, this is a big deal. There's now only two remaining. Would you like to guess either or both of those uh, two remaining, or would you like me to give you one and you try to guess the other? Uh, Let's see. I, I, man, I have no frame of reference for this whatsoever. Uh, Give me one and I'll try for the other. So one, I'll go. I'll go here. The, one of these might make sense. Um, it is. Uh, it is much more known for uh, a school known for academics. Um, in fact, known for trying to unionize college athletics. Um, this this school um, is up in the the Midwest, where you know. Although they have an occasionally decent baseball team, baseball is not uh, as much of a powerhouse. Do you want me to, to tell you, or do you feel like you have it now? Oh, man, I'm still like I'm still drawing a blank. I really, I really. It am. is directional in two different ways. Northwestern uh, is one of the two, mm. um, and, and and the other, Gerald is is not a school that's necessarily known for its academics. I mean, they're not bad. I'm not going to besmirch our friends. Um, they're fine. Uh, but but they they really fancy themselves a, a powerhouse, a sleeping giant. Some would say um, a, a school that has um, tens, almost hundred of million to pay for a football coach again to wake up this sleeping giant of a, of a program. Um, this, of course, I'm talking about again to recap. This is since the beginning of World War II, one of two Power Five programs that haven't finished in the Final Four of football, basketball, or baseball. That's right, dear listeners. Whoop, if you will. That's the Texas A&M fighting Texas Aggies. It wouldn't be a bang the drum without Kyle stunning on the Aggies. Uh, it's been a minute since he had to. So um, I, I felt we were going this direction, and uh, I'm glad it happened. I really, I'm really glad it happened. It feels, it feels right. Whoop, there it is. <laughs> so my, uh, my bang the drum is also kind of not stunting on our rivals per se, but um, so Cody Ford, who's is, is a great offensive lineman in his own right, uh, will be drafted and, and end up in the National Football League. Uh, was on a uh, on a sports talk radio show this week, 
And when asked about Charles Amenahu, he referred to him as average. Big 12 Defensive Lineman of the Year, Charles Amenahu, as average. And Chuck took offense to that, like Chuck should, and called him out on it on Twitter. Uh, And it wasn't just a, hey, you suck, but it was a, hey, these were my stats when I played Oklahoma. (laughs) You suck. And then they went back and forth for a while, and then video came into play. And then pictures came into play. And as someone who appreciates good Twitter beef like anybody, the picture of Charles Amenahu chasing a clearly terrified Kyler Murray was brought into the equation. And if you know anything about Kyler Murray, he does not like physical contact on the football field, which why are you playing in the NFL? Neither here nor there. Um... I just like that level of pettiness. Mm-hmm. And anytime we can bring Kyler Murray looking like the scared child that he is into the equation, I'm all for it. There is there is no better beef than than beef that comes with receipts. So for Chuck to pull out the receipts and casually just drop them on Cody Ford, I I felt I felt bad, and I actually thought about jumping in from from our account with the uh, the assassination of the coward Cody Ford Photoshop. I just didn't get time to put that one together. I still might. I still might tweet that out, folks. Um, but yeah, he he ethered him, and I loved it. It's uh, it's dusty up there. If you've seen that four hour movie, you get that reference. If you didn't, I don't blame you because it was a very long, beautifully shot film that meandered quite a bit. But that's all we've got for you this week, Kyle. Where can the good folks find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. At Kyle Carpenter. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. You can always shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. If you want your tweets read out, use the hashtag replies of Texas when you tweet at us. And again, just like our friend who left us a five star review, we will read it off if you leave us a review on the Apple Podcast Store. Hey, don't forget also to check out, I heard you had a pretty good guest on your other podcast. Kyle, I was, I was getting to that. Oh, getting to that. Mea culpa. It's okay though. It's okay. I had to, I had to wrap up the business. You can also check out uh, my other podcast, Two Woke Nerds, where we had Kyle. If you don't get enough of Kyle's Game of Thrones references, or if you're like, where do Kyle's Game of Thrones references come from? We did a Game of Thrones season eight preview special with, uh, again, Kyle as a guest. I host it with somebody else normally, so you can check that out. It's called Two Woke Nerds. It should be up already in your podcast feed, so you can check us out there as well. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week, and until next time, hook them. Hook them. Go softball.